Everyone and welcome to Life of Brian. Dot 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 Mannix. That is the podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier, and of course, he's the star of the show, Brian Mannix. The podcast. The podcast. It's not a, it's not a bad little song you're writing there, Kev. <laughs> uh, that's not bad. You're more musical than uh, most people know. No, so, no, I'm not. So well done. <laughs> that's Hang <it>. on. <laughs> you can sample the podcast. You know, some guy going, you're a motherfucking well, we're all going down. You know, you can do that. And just every now and then he's like, the podcast. Yeah. I think I think you've started us off on something really creative right at the start of the show. Well done. Well, I've got something very creative for you. It stops you from uh, finishing up in a tangled mess in the corner of, uh, of uh, a workshop somewhere, and that's our very good friends at Murcotts. Uh, oh. 1-300-555-576. Ring them, contact them, murcotts.edu.au, and then you won't have to say, oh, I wish I'd called Murcotts. That's the last thing you want to say, because exactly. normally when you say that, Kev, You've crashed your car. There's a tangled You'd, web that we were yeah. in. Oh, look, it's just, you know, if people don't go to Murcotts, quite frankly, I'm just furious with them because it's just, it's... it's <laughs> oh, that'll no, make all the no, difference. We've been, we've been <laughs> polite about this for long enough and, quite frankly, you know, I was down in Melbourne the other week. You're all shit drivers. Oh, you And, you know, know. Uh, up Queensland, they're no better. Adelaide, they... They've never seen oh. that sign that says "keep left unless overtaking." Um, they just in the in the fast lane, putting along next to some other car, blocking everybody, and they all need to go to Mercots. And quite frankly, Australia, it's time you woke up to yourself, dialed the number five 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 seven six triple three. Is that right, Keith? One three hundred five 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 seven six. Well, just come on, wake up, Australia, for goodness' sake. Yep. Yep. In in Queensland, uh, you know how they call them indicators? That's apparently what Queenslanders think they are. It indicates that I might be turning sometime soon. Not necessarily now, but, you know, mm. sometime soon I might decide that, well, uh, yeah, you, know, you know, or it indicates that I've just turned or I've just changed lanes. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> anyway. You know, Mark down at Murcotts will sort that right Yes, he out. will. He will. So He's a good fellow. all fella. of Queensland, all of Victoria – all of New South Wales, in fact, all of Australia, get down to Murcotts, one 576 Beautiful. All right. We don't need the triple three on the end. Um, There's no triple three? No. I don't know. I'm having a bit of a blanket. So it's one 576 See, that's a bad number in some ways because in America, you know, in the movies, 555 means this is a bullshit number. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's the one that they do because there's no prefix anywhere in America that has 555 at the start. LA's they, 274 or whatever and uh, yeah, there's no one, they, no, no one of that. They, they deliberately saved it hmm. for the Hollywood movies there you and, go. Um, you know, and I'll tell you what, you get down to Murcotts with your 555 number and, uh, you know, You'll be driving like Hollywood. It's legit. It is legit. Now, so is our guest for this program. We've got a good, really good program, this one. Um, it's uh, a Dale Ryder, your very good friend and our very good friend from uh, the Absolutely 80 shows, but also, of course, from uh, his halcyon days as the lead singer of Boom Crash Opera. 
hell, I don't even sound like that. I don't sound like that. You know, it's just a joke. You know, you, you, you're a fool. You really are a fool. Um, uh, there's a bit of that goes on in this interview too, just quietly. Well, one, of the best thing, one of the best things he did, he came to my joint one day and the dog had had some stitches or something, so it had that bucket thing on his head. Yeah. And so, so Dale walks through the front door and the dog's like, oh, here's this guy. And Dale just looks at the dog with disdain and says, <laughs> Get away from me. You look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is normally what he'd say to you, but he said it to the dog. Uh, well, you know. So Dale's going to join us and just to tick them all, play a couple of Boom Crash Opera, uh, little memories for you of, you know, they're really good songs. They've got a couple of great songs. They are good songs. Uh, and then good. later we're going to catch up with Australia's, one of Australia's leading authors, Lisa Curry. Uh, oh. A fabulous book she's written called Lisa at 60 And uh, her husband, who is probably the best Elvis impersonator going around in the country Mark Tabone, or as uh, some people know Mark Andrew is uh, is his Elvis uh, name But he's an absolute ripper He is an absolute ripper And uh, quite appropriate that we're uh, talking to Mark um, while After the release of the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie Well, we're which... going to talk to them about that But you've, what, you've seen the film, so... I've seen the film. We'll get to Dale Ryder, and then after Dale Ryder, we'll talk to you about the Elvis film, and then we'll talk to uh, to Mark and Lisa. So we're going to. Are you sure, are you, sure you would rather talk to me about the movie now? All right, if you no. if you no no, no 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 no, I'm just being stupid. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, Dale will expect it. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is the man of the hour, Mr. Dale Ryder. I'm broken. <laughs> No, a lot of pain, a lot of nerve pain. Had a, had a serious fall, broke my neck for the second time. It's all the sort of collateral damage after surgery that's um, that's the problem. You know, my neck is fixed, but hands are still numb, and I feel like a an unoiled robot, and I can't sing. Yeah. How that's, long do they do they reckon it's going to take you, Dale? It's going to be as long as it takes. You know, what doctors are like, oh. yeah. Well, you know, you are sixty-seven. These things could be forever. So, yeah, that's the thing, you know. Just explain, uh, what, what, the reason you can't sing is because of, of, of what part of it? Well, because you go through the front. They sort of put an, an incision here and they go through the front, push everything to the side, try to get to, your, try to, get to the back of the spine. And uh, there's a lot of peripheral damage when they're doing that. they got to cut and tendons and not tendons but muscles and chunk and gunk out of the way. Then it regrows, you know, it, it, and it gets scarred. And because the hardware is pretty much behind my vocal cords, I can sing quietly, but if I try to do a boom crash opera song and belt out anything, it's just not there. It seems, it seems like there's just not enough room for, for, the, for the two of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've, apart from that, I've got a lot of pain in my hands, and my hands open like a robot. You know, it's all on my right side. So I'm just hoping it all gets better in the in the, by the by the end of the year because I'm I'm doing a lot of exercise and rehab. The pain is the hard bit. Do they give you good drugs for the pain? They give you good drugs, but I mean, it doesn't take the pain away; it just knocks you out. <laughs> oh. You're kind of you're kind of in pain, but but kind of half asleep, so no, I've stopped taking that. Uh, how did you, do you, do you want to tell us how you did it or was it in, in, in oh, one of those? Five o'clock in the morning, I just did a gig, I'd just done a gig with Brian that afternoon. Yep. And Scott Khan and um, went to bed, got up at five in the morning with a cramp in my in my calf, stood up and woke up on the floor with my neck up against the wall, crooked and broken. A helicopter came, took me to the hospital, basically. That was it. <laughs> 
not drunk, not on anything, just fell over. Jesus. Passed out, just, just bad luck. Just really bad. Yeah, bad you, luck. You, I mean, you've fallen on boats and stuff. You've never broken your neck. <laughs> no, no. I've, you know, I'm always falling over and bleeding, but I don't break my neck. Um, yeah. But in saying that, you know, you can't sing, you can't sing as, at, at the level that you want to sing. At the no, 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 I, I can't. You, I can't. No, no. You've said this you before. Sang, no, no. When you sang for me, I thought, well, Jen, you still sound better than me. And, no, you're, going, no, 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 and you're going, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. No, so no, good. no, it's not that. <laughs> no, no, it's not, no, it's not that. I, I can't sing. I, I, I really cannot sing at the moment. I, otherwise I would be because that's one of the, my favourite things to do apart from playing games. But I can't do it. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's financially, it's kind of a big, becoming a bit of a burden. Um, yeah, because I've been out of work for, for two years with COVID anyway. So yeah. So what impacts so, it had yeah. on the rest of your life, Dale? I mean, it, it, obviously, if your if your hands are not working, it'd be most things you'd you'd struggle to do. I would imagine. Well, you know, domestic things are easy, and um, I, I must admit, I have improved since since the, since I couldn't walk when I first had the when I first, after surgery the first you know for the first week I couldn't walk at all. So I'm walking now. I mean, albeit with a, a slight limp. I have, like I said, pain. Um, one side of me is much better. And so apparently with a lot of exercise and some rehab, it, it should get back to at least 70% of my original, which, which is fine for me because, I mean, I, I will be 68 this year and I'm supposed to be slowing down anyway. <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's really isn't. Uh, the, the physicality of it all is, all is all good. It's just um, the mental anguish of not being able to sing yeah, um, that's that's what drives me nuts. Are you writing? Are you able? To- uh, again, you know, because because of all this pain, it's all this peripheral nerve pain. It's just so hard to get motivated. You know, even to go for my walk, I have to walk uh, between three and five k a day, and even that becomes becomes kind of a really big mountain to climb every morning. But again, I'm I'm just working on it slowly and trying to get there. <laughs> Can you cook? I'm still cooking. Oh, you got to cook. Gotta, I lost a lot of weight from, from not eating. Yeah. Oh, well, let's talk about the music. Long before Boom Crash Shop, but what was your first band? Mad Mole. <laughs> Mad Mole. <laughs> a, a heavy metal band from, from Glenroy. We all drove hearses. Oh, I yeah. was actually on, on Kevin Dennis's New Faces, right, and trying to be a singer. I've always wanted to be a singer since I was six. I just wanted I'd sing for anything. And so I joined it. I came second last next to a clown. Um, and then there was this local band in Glenroy called Mad Mall, and I, I used to, you know, saw them at, fest, at festivals and stuff, and they were, I used to think they were amazing. And the next minute, there's this guy in the front door, my, this great trainer, he's half Japanese, half Irish, and this big black hearse pulled into my front yard of my parents' house, and he said, we're looking for a singer. I went, oh, shit, you're, you're Mad Mall. <laughs> yeah, and that was my first band, and then, yeah, just in the 70s. And then from there, just... Cover bands, really. You know, just trying to trying to make it, basically, without trying to make it. What we sort of stuff was Mad Mole doing? What what were they doing? Oh, it was all original, original heavy metal stuff. It was oh, just, wow. Well, what we call heavy metal in those days, kind of Black Sabbath-y kind of uh, dark, you know, dragon dragons and swords and lots of Viking stuff. <laughs> it was kind of when, it was kind of funny. We were we're pretty much like Spinal Tap, but being serious. <laughs> My mole, they were pretty big actually around the area. And I remember I'd be at primary school at St. Francis de Sales and we'd be at the um, in the car park 
where we play. And then every now and then you'd see one of the mad mole hearses go burning up past the Vale <laughs> Road. And then all of us kids would lean on the fence going, oh, mad mole, mad mole. Yeah, yeah our slogan was heavy enough to lean on. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, they were really quite big actually, mad mole. I, you know, like I was in primary school and we all knew about them, so... Yeah, that was a pretty good way. Yeah, we did that, local yeah. dances and stuff like that, you know. Like in, in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the industry we have we had in the eighties. It was a very, very small fledgling industry. Uh, you know, PAs and stuff were very hard to come by. You had to buy your own PA and stuff. You know, so yeah, it was. But it was fun. It was fun. And so, how did Bad Mole finish? Oh, just like most bands, we just sort of. Just dribble away, you know. Um, opportunities yeah. uh, become become less less available. You kind of grow up a little bit. I was I was only twenty, and I didn't you know fancy. That. I was I mean as you know you know me for very well. I listened to Stevie Wonder and Santana and stuff, so I was never into that kind of music anyway. Yeah. And finally, I I quit and put a cover band together playing covers. You know, for what did you years. sing on Kevin Dennis' new faces? Uh, a song I wrote about abortion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> called you called Eureka, funny enough. <laughs> called uh, Eureka. As in, no, Eureka, as in oh. gold, you know. Yeah, and it was a song about abortion. I played acoustic guitar and I wasn't very good. I thought I was, but you know, it was a cross between Michael Franks and Cat Stevens kind of thing. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. And I don't think and yeah, yeah, Ethel Guy was one of the judges and he just well, I don't, I don't think I understand the connection there, though. And, and so, yeah, came second last. <laughs> oh, well, you didn't come last. That's the main thing. And the clown came last. <laughs> <laughs> the clown. Fair enough. So you're playing in your, in your cover band, and then yep. what? how does Boom Crash Opera come along? Well, I've been in a cover band for a few years, you know, doing, doing everywhere from doing all around Australia. And Maz, the drummer, Peter Mazlin, was in my cover band for a little while. Yep. And he played, plays me a track on, 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 a, on a cassette. Well, that's pretty good. I like that music. That's pretty pretty awesome. So, well, funny, they're looking for a drummer and a singer. And I'm already in the band, so I'm going to ask if you come in addition. So I auditioned and, yeah, got the gig. That was it. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Wow. And yeah. how long did Boom Crash play around before you got record deals and stuff like that? Did that happen quickly or did you, Three you know, plug it in? <laughs> few months. I reckon. First gig, I mean, no, you've got to understand that Peter Farnan and, and Richard Pleasance were kind of the babies of the lefty underground scene. You know, they, they both come from underground bands, quite well-renowned uh, as, as kind of alternative kind of music gurus. And so everyone was waiting for their new band, you know. And uh, first gig, I think, was at Richmond somewhere, the Star Lounge or Bar or something. And it was just line after line of record companies wanting to sign us on the, on the first gig. It was great. You know, yeah. We said no, and then until we found management, and then we finally found signed. Yeah. Wow. So, what was your first single? Great Wall. Yeah, of course. Um, that been number five. That was pretty good. That's pretty yeah, cool. It was a good thing. To my dad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here's my real job. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I became his favourite. You know. <laughs> yeah. Boom Crash went bang really quickly, didn't it? It it, it kind of exploded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were packing houses first gig for, from the first gig, you know. And those days we we started supporting uh, Doremi and I'm Talking bands like that, you know, for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden we were headlining and, and doing really well. We we're pretty arty farty in those days, you know. We we weren't as commercially viable. Even the songs, you know, we've come a long way. 
I think, you know, it got, it got sort of spanked out of us, you know, write something that people are going to like, <laughs> all, all that hardy stuff as well and good, but, you know, you need to get some, some serious stuff there, you know. Who produced your first records? The first record was, um, uh, Jesus, now you got me. Alex Atkin did the first album, but uh, the first Steve, Steve something, I forget his name. He, he, he recorded Great Wall and Hands Up in the Air, the first two singles. Right. And then they flew to London to do the, the, the album with uh, Alex Sadkin. Now, he died, wow. didn't he? Alex Sadkin died in the Bahamas Alex or something. Alex Sadkin died in a car accident in, yeah. in the Bermudas, yeah, after, just after he finished our album, really. He was just starting starting to do, uh, I think it was Talking Heads' second album, and, yeah, he passed away in an accident, yeah. Was the plan for you wow. to continue to work with him, uh, uh, or was was that? Oh, you know, he, he was great. He was great to work with, and he was, you know, quite open to suggestions and stuff. So he was really good to work with as a producer. And I mean, I mean we never thought about it, but yeah, I mean, we would love the opportunity had it come up because he'd worked with some really good people. And um, and he was, like I said, he was a brilliant guy to work with, and he was, you know, he knew what the band was about. A lot of producers used to say to us, "Oh, I know you, sound, and then they. Try to produce something, and it was just crap. They had no idea what they were doing, and and we were very um, not me personally because I couldn't. I hate the recording process. I just completely just I loathe it. It's boring as shit to me. Just do my vocals and get the hell out. I hate studios and listening to tracks and is the drum squeaking or not? And should we have a should we take a pasta on the drum sand to make it better? I hate all that stuff. I just hated the recording process. I just hated it. How was the yeah, recording in London? London? Yeah, it was good. Three or four months in London at Rack. Wow. Yeah. It was great. I mean, you know, we're all in London, mate. Are you serious? It was all paid for in London, except that we didn't know we were paying for it ourselves. <laughs> did you do any Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's all recoupable. Um, did you do any gigs while you were there or were you just recording? No, nah, no gigs. No, we were, we were, we were just starting. It was just, we just had a couple of singles out, you know. We were, we were flabbergasted that we actually got to be in London to record an album with, with someone that great. I, I guess the record company had big hopes for us, you know, but we were pretty stubborn. We fought them all the way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> your second album, was it your second album that you recorded in LA? No, we recorded the second album in, in Australia, but again, the record company in, intervened and said, look, these two songs are great, but we need to re-record them with uh, Steve... Uh, Oh, Ivan, yeah, 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 yeah. Ivan, yeah, yeah him. I mean, I, I, yeah, and I love, like I said, I love the process, and I, I, I forget about it. Yeah, so they sent us to London to record two songs, which I think cost 150 grand or something. Pretty stupid, but which was that all We get there, and then the riot started. The Rodney King riots, and we were in the middle of LA trying to record two songs, which took almost three weeks to during a riot. It was pretty crazy. And you became pretty good mates with Billy Idol. Yeah, yeah. Billy well, you know, yeah. well, I wasn't a great mate with him. It was it was our producer who who produced both of his albums. Uh, right. That was great mate with him, and then yeah, we, we hung out together. That's about all I'll say. Yeah, that's all you need to say. I, I know the rest of the story. I don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You do a good Billy Idol voice, don't you? Hey, yeah, Billy Idol voice. Do his voice. Me? Yeah. You're the one who sings all the Billy Idol stuff in the band, not me. Yeah, I know. Fair enough. Um, okay, so you've recorded the album in, uh, done the two songs in LA. How long are you in LA for? Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, I backtracked. Two songs in LA, we came back, it was all good. We recorded one album and a whole album in LA. We were there for a few months. 
uh, writing and recording and stuff there. Was that good? Oh, yeah, LA is great, man, you know. So whatever you want, you get in Los Angeles. You know, we had if I, uh, the recording process. Americans love doing things really big. Everything's big. So yeah. one, one morning I walk in and it was um, this truck, this big semi-trailer with all these road cases everywhere, like large. And I went down this big hallway and I'm wondering, and there was this guy, and I said, what's all this about? I'm talking 30, 40 road cases with a big semi-trailer. And it was for one tambourine player. The percussionist. He bought his entire percussion ensemble in a semi-trailer and played tambourine. And he tried about 50 tambourines to get the perfect tambourine. That's how big things are done in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's crazy. Stupid. Yeah. yeah, they can't seem to do anything without 250 people. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's huge, yeah. Um, Kev? But, but you guys were paying for all that, weren't you, in the end? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, of course you are, you know, but, uh, you know, it's like when you're having fun, you just have fun. Like when we were recording in London, people were sending us guitars from, from Italy and Spain and try this and try that. You know, we didn't know. We, we, I mean, we kind of knew but didn't really, it didn't it didn't dawn on you until when you go, oh, look, well, that costs a lot of money. They're going to have to pay that back from record sales. But that's, you know. So that's that made it easier. It's like it's like a text day. <laughs> was it was it fun though? I mean, a lot of people talk about you know you're in a moment somewhere and you and things are happening around you and you don't kind of get to enjoy it because you have the anxiety of what you need to do to make it happen. Well, like I said, for me, never. I always enjoy. I, I loved being overseas. I enjoyed myself a lot. I did. I, I'd go into the studio, do my vocals, and get the hell out of there. And do I became caterer. I was catering for them in London. I was cooking because the chef, the cooks were really bad. So I did that. So I'd sing in the book in the morning and then go and do some shopping and make dinner. And then when they'd have dinner, I'd, I'd go out. So it was never it was never anxiety for me to record. It was just kind of boring. But And then eventually we all got used to recording. And so, you know, they would have the recording session times. And then after that, we'd all go out and see bands and stuff. So it became quite a good hang, especially in Los Angeles, you know, because uh, a lot of Australians are down there. And, yeah, we met a lot, hung up, met up with some people and went out. Well, you know, it was good fun. Did you want to stay there or are you always, is home always there? No, no. I never want to be in LA. I, I wanted to stay in England. <laughs> I thought London was really cool in the 80s. But no, nah, LA is, nah, too many guns and too much, too much, too, too many freako, freakos in, in Los Angeles. Because we were living right in Hollywood and you could hear gunshots and you could hear deer walking out or coyotes. It was kind of, that's how weird it was, you know. It's kind of strange. Uh. Very strange place. Um, <laughs> Dale, Dale. What? I oh, don't start that. Um, now, what we do uh, when we're walking through an airport, Kevin, mm. <laughs> and I'll start, and I'll walk behind and go, "Dial, oh, dial," <laughs> but really loud, so everybody can hear it. And Dale gets embarrassed, which only makes me do it more. So, Dale, wait for me, Dale. <laughs> Shut up, Brian. It's very funny. Shut up, Brian. Shut up, Brian. And Brian, <laughs> it, 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 during the safety the safety lecture on boards, always says the same thing. And there'll be no smoking. Oh no! Yeah, you tell. No smoking in the toilets. Oh no! <laughs> Speaking of smoking, we were we were going to catch a uh, plane to Sydney or Queensland. I can't remember. And me and Dale were sitting down. We we're having a beer, wait for the you know the plane to call us. And I said, "I'll oh, stuff this. I want to go and have a joint." He said, I'm just going to stay here. You know, I said, will you mind my bag, would you? So I went outside and I had the joint 
and I got so stoned that I just forgot about my bag, forgot about Dale and just got onto the plane. <laughs> and then I sort of said, well, hang on, where's Dale? And I rang Dale and he said, where are you? I can't get on because I've got your bag. Because <laughs> so, he had two bags. <laughs> and, yeah, that, happened quite, that's what, that sort of thing happened quite often with him on the road. Yeah. He, he, he where he was and we had yeah, to remind so him. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to he go was just tired. <laughs> talk to the um, talk to the hostess and said, explain what was going on, and they eventually let him on the plane. Yeah, we've had a lot of moments like that. Um, yeah, very good. Doug, uh, given that you don't like the recording process, have you always been happy with what's come out on the records? Uh, you know, to, yeah, I guess about eighty percent. I guess. I mean, I'm, I will I will go in there when they're doing my when they're doing the vocal comp and and make sure that they get the right vocals that I think are pretty good. But then, you know, you've got a producer and you've got two really good songwriters. You've got to trust the process, you know. You've got to trust them. And if, if we get to loggerheads about something in particular, I'm happy to listen, you know, and listen to both sides. And if they can convince me one way or the other, then I'll go, you know. But, I mean, that's why you have a producer. You know, you're supposed to trust that's, that's trust the ears and they've done some really good work that you admire. And so, yeah, you, you have to put your trust in them and I'll go, okay, yeah, if you, if you think that's better, then, yeah, let's go with that. I never cut large, let everything go. I, you know, I would make sure that my vocals, I was happy with what I was singing. You know, a lot of the times I was I was unhappy because I said, yeah, that sounds out of tune and a lot of them are doing that. Okay, it's, the, it's not the tuning, it's the, the performance, man. It's the performance, you know. Don Gaiman was really good for that. And you know, he would fight with Richard Pleasance a lot about just minor, major blues scales, you know. And, and I, I, hate, I, I don't particularly like doing minor scales in the blues. I like major just happier and I would never sing a minor and Richard and I would have these little discussions about minor major and Don gave me, ah, who cares? It prefers about the performance. And so now, consequently, a lot of Boom Crash Opera songs don't sound like Boom Crash Opera songs because of me. <laughs> because you sang in the major key rather than No, Peter Finer said their first album uh, was, wasn't meant to be, in his mind, didn't sound like it does. And he goes, that's because we had a, and he, he's quoting Peter Farnham, a loose R&B singer is what he calls me. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he said, I brought, I brought things to the album that, um, you know, that they didn't, didn't think were going to be there. They just arrived because of me. Yeah. You worked with Nick Lornay, was it? Was it Nick Lornay? Uh, Nick Lornay, just, no, he, did, he just uh, produced one track. I, I can't even remember what it was. You know? He went on and did... And you had a suit that you wore on Hey Hey or Countdown. Looked very good. Yeah, that's, a, that's the London thing, you know, going to London and, and going to Camden Market and seeing what fashion's all about. And, yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. You know? Yeah, it looked really cool. So cool that two weeks later Michael Hutchins had one. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw him at the Countdown Awards and he was wearing full leather and he must have looked at him and went, oh, that looks good. That looks good in the suit. I think I'll get myself a suit. <laughs> yeah, it was about two weeks later he's up on stage in a suit. Yeah, which is, you know, the influence of Boom Crash Opera is everywhere. Well, yeah. Do you it's, look back um, on those songs proudly, Dale? Most of them. <laughs> oh, there's some rubbish on there. <laughs> like most albums, you know, there's some stuff on there that I just go, what the fuck were we thinking, singing like that? Or what were we writing? You know, there's a, there's a couple of things. We all do. I mean, I think most bands have a little cringe moment, you know. Uh, yeah. We thought it was really good. We've, there's a song on one of our albums called Ain't I Amazed? And I just, yeah, you know, 
just want to throw up when they hear and they go, what, what was it? What, what, yeah. I mean, but like, I, I think most bands have that, have those songs that you get talked yep. into recording. Yeah. Yeah. One of the favourite lyrics of Boom Crash is, is what I've spoken to you about many times, but I just think this is a great lyric, Kev. Lying in the bed, I know you are awake, but I will not give in. I will lying not in the dark. Watch. Lying in the dark. Not lying in the dark, yeah, right. But it's like guy and the girl have gone to bed and they're having a blue and he's just not going to say anything. And I just thought, wow, that's such a cool idea. Yeah, you know, you're, you know you're, facing, you're facing away from each other and you're lying in bed, bum to bum, and it's like on an Anzac night, you know, it's all quiet. Oh, fuck, she can get fucked. I'm not saying nothing. I'm not, I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> it's her fault, not his fault. Yeah, well, that's that's a that dancing in the storm. You know, that's that's what it's about. Yeah, well, it's Play. just a cool idea for a song because I don't think anybody's written a lyric about that particular scenario. Which well, uh, Peter Fine, you know, Peter Fine's great lyricist helps 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 me have good lyricists. Me, Pete, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know that's, 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 that's the lyric I've... Look, I admire all your songs, but I just... Well, you know, lyrics, lyrics, are really, the lyrics are really important, you know. You need to work on lyrics. You need to yeah. spend some time. All that rubbish about writing on chewing gum paper and then having a hit song, you know, that's all well and good, but, you know, XT, yeah. bands like XTC and, you know, I just... David Bowie, you just got to, you know, create lyricists, lyrics make a song, I reckon. Yeah, you've got an opportunity to say something, so you might as well have something to say. Not like Bon, yeah. bon Jovi, you know, just refuses to write a good song. <laughs> he just does. He just gets a, sees a bumper sticker that says something and he says, that's my next song. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we're not a big fan. So what's what's the plan, Dales? You just is it just rehab and all that stuff at the moment, and just well, we had to cancel all this year's gigs, much to uh, you know, everyone's disappointment. I mean, just got to get better, I guess. And so um, I'm uh, doing some rehab, doing some vocal rehab. Uh, as I said, I can sing quietly, um, but yeah, so I'm just hoping it all gets better by could the you, end of the year. You, and then could you re- teach? Re- I mean, charge. is teaching singing something that would you would you would look at doing? Singing, becoming a singing teacher? Yeah. Oh, God, no. I would be hopeless, you know. No, I don't think I'd be a, a good singing coach at all. Yeah. You do give me a lot of tips about singing, which is which I enjoy. So to me, why, why are you using that gravel voice? It's, it's, why are you using that gravel voice? It's not that high. You can sing this. Just sing it. Don't, don't exactly. use that gravel voice and, you know, stuff well, that's like that. Your, that's your go-to voice when you better hard night. That's your go-to voice when you have a hard night. You know, you're good for that. Yeah. You're too stoned. You've got to think when you sing. You've got to be aware. You've got to be aware when you're singing. There's no point yeah. singing, and if, you know, especially you. <laughs> especially me. This is the best thing that has ever happened to me. These are the colors that I've always wanted to see. From the highest altitudes to 
Crash Opera dancing. I love that song, Dancing in the Storm. I, I, my son, that used to be a radio theme song that came out at three o'clock every afternoon. I used to pick my son up from school and we would sit in the car in the car park and wait for that to come on so as we could do silly boy dance stuff with it. Well, he was about sort of seven or eight. But it was um, that, that was a, sort of our little magic moment. I, I, I'm a big fan of Boom Crash Opera and a big fan of Dales. It was good to have you on the show. And let's hope he gets 100% recovered uh, sooner rather than later, Brian. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure he will. He's um, a resilient kind of guy. Yep. And I'm just worried about all the other mothers trying to pick up their kids while you're just parked the car there <laughs> dancing to, you know, dancing in the storm. Boy you know? dancing. Like a, Great for you, great for you. Here and, we go, but, here we go. I'm doing that. No, nah, the best part of that song is the first line, which I mentioned, you know, lying in the dark, I know you are yep. awake. <laughs> I would not give in. I will not give in. It, <laughs> yeah, the explanation of that's beautiful. Very, very nice it's indeed. fantastic. All right, let's get, we're going to talk to you about what you thought of the Elvis movie after this interview, but we're going to talk to Mark Tabone now and Lisa Curry. Very happily married couple they are. What a what a what a magical couple they are. They are a great couple, yeah. aren't they? They they complement each other really well, and they're probably the least likely people. Like you know, he's an Elvis impersonator. He's just Tom Jones. He does many things, but yeah. she's an Olympic athlete, an Iron Woman, and it's like wow. You know, I, you know, I'm a musician. I can't see myself hooking up with an Iron Woman. Neither can I. No, <laughs> you no, were waiting for not. me to, to to. Oh no, Brian, that had happened. No, Brian, no, really, no. One day, you never know, Brian. That might happen. An ironing woman, maybe, but not an iron woman. Um. <laughs> Why do I always go for girls who can punch the shit out of me? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get. And you're going to find out the story of how these two met, actually, in the interview. So uh, have a listen. Here's Mark Tabone and Lisa Curry on Life of Brian. We've got the king and the uh, and the and the queen uh, in residence. Um, welcome. Uh, hey, the firstly, congratulations uh, on on the success of the book. Bloody hell, number one everywhere. Yeah, right. thanks, Kevin. It, it's kind of like um, you win a you win a gold medal, and then you know a couple of weeks later you win another one. <laughs> it's kind of you know because it's still up at number one and going into a second reprint. So yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. No, good on you. Gutsy thing to do. I've got no idea what it looked like. It feels like to win a gold medal and then win another one, but um, I'll take it from you that it's great. It's like having a number one song and then having another number one song. 
What's no, the uh, What's the book equivalent of a gold album or a gold record or, or a gold single or something? Do, do they give you anything? No. Oh. No, of course not. <laughs> well, they should. No, just the, um, no it's yeah. just, you know, it, it was a difficult book to write because of the time that I was writing it. So it, I always wanted to do one for my 60th birthday. Yep. Um, which of course was was coming up, and it was just um, a couple well, last month actually. Um, but writing the book, of course, started about eighteen months ago, which was um, a bad time for me because it was just after my daughter passed, and so it was a really horrible time for me to have to try and do what I wanted to do for so many years. And to be honest, if it wasn't for the support of my publishers and my co-writer. And you know, pushed me on days when I, I couldn't even get out of bed. Mm. I I wouldn't have got it done. So, but you know, we got it there. We we finally got the book done, and um, it was hard. It was a hard book to write. It was a hard book to read and reread and proofread. And then I read the audio book as well, which was even harder. Yeah, I bet. But yeah, it's done now. It's like giving birth to a little baby, and it's my <laughs> my little project's done. Well, can I take you to a, a a chapter in the book that is is a joyous chapter, and that is the chapter about the uh, the Melbourne to Portland walk, and and you two coming together <laughs> as a uh, as a as a couple. That's a that's a lovely story. The way that sort of all played out. We didn't become a couple till probably because uh, that was in the June, late June and then uh, we became a couple in Five early November. Yeah. November. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is a nice, a nice story And because uh, during the walk it, we just sort of chatted and just got to know each other. But um, I, I had a lot of respect for Lisa and um, I was um, touring and came up here to do a show up on the Sunshine Coast and, uh, I messaged them and um, said, uh, do you want to come to my show? And then, long story short, uh, we had breakfast next morning and I said, you know, I've separated, um, my marriage is over and all this sort of stuff. But I didn't know that Lisa under the table, what would you do? A little fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> he charged me for the ticket too. I mates rates. I thought I would have got a freebie. No, I, I, no, I haven't even told that story. So <laughs> it was months later that I was. No, that was the ticket for the night before. Oh yeah, for the ticket. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. I mean, then you uh, charged me for something else. And then I was selling some combi <laughs> parts, and uh, she, we were in a Facebook group page, and she said, "Oh yeah, I'll have that." And we started chatting and. You know, that's sort of how it all started, I suppose. I didn't even have a number. I had to ask for a number, Kevin and yep. Brian. Yeah. Yep. The combi, the combi being the kind of, uh, you know, the little love for connection really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've always wanted a combi. I wasn't, but I never found one, you know, and then I finally found one and Mark had one and it was kind of like the glue for us. And one, our first date yeah. was going to a combi show in um Yarra Glen? Uh, yeah, Yarra yeah. Glen. And, um, that was fun. Yeah, we, we had a lot in common. Like I liked vintage shopping and, you know, Lisa was surprised that I was kind of patient and enjoying, you know, just vintage shopping. And I, I said, <laughs> oh, I love this shit, you know. <laughs> you can say it like this though, Mark. You just say, darling, I love vintage shopping. No, I, I, go on vintage shopping I, I, without you. Are you trying to be Elvis, Brian? Are you? <laughs> well, it's not really my forte. <laughs> I've got a gold lame jacket 
like Elvis has made yeah. by, by Lansky. I yeah. bought it from Lansky in um, Memphis. Oh yeah, and I've also got yeah, his jacket that he got that he got married in the replica of that. You yeah, know. yeah. That, Lisa bought me that suit uh, when we were in Memphis in 2017 for my for our wedding, and um, oh, okay. how. Hal is uh, Bernard's son. He's a friend of mine now. And um, he said, make sure you send me a picture, you know. And so our photo is in the window at Lansky's now. Oh, wow. Because they've, yeah, they've got a shop at the Peabody with the ducks. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Our photo is in their, their shop window. Yeah. It's probably really faded by now. But oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, I um, yeah. I got drunk at the bar there, and then I went in and just started buying everything. It was a big mistake. You don't buy, you don't go shopping yeah. when you're drunk, but um, I did, and I've got the two jackets, so that's oh. terrific. Well, I bought everything, and I wasn't drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they got the ladies' store next door to Lansky's. Um, it's part of Lansky's, so beautiful shoes yeah. and bags, and you know, just things you don't see. Here in Australia. We'll talk about the movie soon too because we went to the premiere the other night at the Gold Coast and, um, you know, oh. they actually built, they built Beale Street right. up here in the, uh, in the Gold oh, Coast wow. and they built it exact. I wow. Like, like watching the movie, it looks exactly like Beale Street. It's unbelievable. And they had Lansky's exactly the same. They had some uh, footage of, Elvis and B.B. King at Lansky's and, um, you know, just shopping and it was fantastic, yeah. So the, the film, to, to tell us about the film because we, we obviously haven't seen it. Uh, what what yeah. did you both think? So um, it is about the relationship between the Colonel and Elvis. Um, I think Austin Butler did a, did a great job. Um, you know, he's yeah. tall, lean, got nice nice eyes. And, nice to look at for all the girls. You know, he's, yeah, he's got the round features that Elvis had. Nobody looks like Elvis, let's face it. So, and the attention to detail was pretty accurate, you know, like he, Baz did his research and pretty much had the keys to Graceland. So he could use anything that they had there in their archives as props. So, yeah, and the costuming were from B&K Enterprises that make my costumes. So they're identical to, to the real things. And, um, yeah, it was it was. Good. What's your feedback on that? Well, it was different for me um, because because I watch Mark do Elvis um, pretty much, well, every weekend. I've got to know his show, which is I know very much like Elvis's shows because he he's um, studied Elvis for so many years, 20 years, so everything he Elvis does, Mark does too. So when I was watching the show, it was like I didn't know if I was watching Elvis, Austin or Mark. Uh. And it, because they, they used some real footage of Elvis in the show as well and sometimes Mark looks like like just everything, he looks like Elvis too. He sounds like Elvis. So to me I was watching three. Yes. Three people doing like the same thing. So it was kind of kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a story, great night. The storyline was great. It moves very quickly and a lot of colour. We want to watch it again, though. I think we'll yeah, get more out of, of it the second there's time. There's a bit of pop culture in there too, like with yeah. some of the slides and things like that pop up and yeah, things like that. Yeah. But I think that's um, Baz's creativity. Yeah. You know, he's got a very um, creative, quick, artistic mind that comes across. I would have loved I would have loved to be a consultant in that movie and uh, there were a couple of things that timeline weren't exactly correct, but they're only really minor things that, um, someone 
like me that would pick it up, or my brother, who's yeah. the next. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've obviously been to Graceland. You mentioned uh, 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 buying stuff. Was Graceland a thrill for you, or was it a disappointment? Because it, for so many people, it's actually something of a disappointment when they actually get to go there. Are you asking me? Yeah. The, the Graceland in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, the real. The real oh, no, I don't know um, how anyone could be disappointed. I mean, it's. No, like. It's fabulous. You know, the, the thing that really upset me is since EPE sort of bought 80% of, you know, the Priscilla and Lisa Marie, they actually knocked down all the original, all the old buildings across the road and they built this kind of, you know, Commercial. movie world type place. You know, it's got. Oh, ver- okay. Vernon Steakhouse, Gladys's Diner, and so it's it's a bit more commercial. And and then the museums that you walk through, they're all across the road. But the thing that disappoints me is across the road there was a building, and the number of the building was three seven seven five Elvis Presley Boulevard. And if you break up those numbers, Elvis was born in thirty five and died in seventy seven. And I took a photo of that door and that number because I just mm. thought because that year I went was that Elvis would have been 77. I think it was 2012. You know, it was the anniversary and, you know, I kept seeing 77 pop up, mm. these numbers, you yeah. know, because I'm a bit of a numbers dude. Yeah. See, Mark, Mark who was um, <clears throat> over there yeah. as well, and we have another tour, I say we, yeah, have we, another tour well, next we. year going yeah, to Palm Springs. LA, yeah. Vegas, Nashville, Memphis. And for people who go on that tour, and I've been on it twice, you know, seeing where Elvis was born and seeing some studios where he recorded his music and all the soul music and, you know, that era of yes. where he, he embraced the gospel and the, the coloured people of that era, you know, and he, he was one that, you know, unless they were on stage with him, he wouldn't sing. So to go on this tour and hear all these stories and see where he lived and sang and performed, you have so much more respect for Elvis, I think, after seeing, you know, in person those places. Like, you know, is it called the jungle room in his house where he used to sit and jam and in the dining room? You just feel more, you feel closer to him. It's it's pretty incredible. Going back to your original question, was I disappointed? No, I I think the first time you you go, there's a sense of, um, I don't know, it's a sense of, uh, yeah, uh, surreal, you know, and you think mm. because Graceland's pretty grand from the front, um, even though, you know, you've got to remember it was a mansion in 1957, so some of the rooms, they're small-ish, but, you know, it was home for, for Elvis and, you know, but it had all the, the mod cons, didn't it? Mm. But, um, and a lot of small rooms where a lot of the buddies, you know, the bodyguards used to sleep and things like that. But, no, I, I think it was a... Fantastic experience. The first year I went was 2002. Then I went um, 10 years later in 2012, 2017 and and 2019, and then next year. Mm. The thing that, um, you know, I do on my tours and I take about 40 people, I talk on the bus, tell stories, you know, tell them certain things that they don't – because you drive past a dollar shop in Memphis – and you don't even realise where the dollar shop is used to be Memphis Recording Studio. And, and, and also staying at the hotel there. You know, yeah. there was, what was her name, Esther Brown? 
Estelle. Estelle Brown. Like she was one was, of the sweet inspirations who. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Elvis's original band members were in Jan- the hotel. James Burton. Because Mark knows them all, he'd be saying, "Look, you know, there's so and so. You know, everyone yeah. would run and get photos." And and we, um, who was the other girl, the, the gate girl, that came to dinner with us? So we went to Vegas on the trip, and uh, one of my friends used to. She was one of the entourage. Her name is Sandy Miller, and um, she lives in Vegas. And I contacted Sandy and I said, "Would you come do a talk if we if I organise a dinner?" And so I had a bit of a surprise for the group, and um, the, we were all having dinner. And then Sandy walks in with me, and I introduce her, and she starts oh. telling stories, and it was unbelievable. Oh, cool! Yeah. She was um, she was flicking through her photos on her phone. And there were all these photos of her and Elvis and she, Elvis and everyone yeah, else, like, photos that have never been seen before. And Mark's just nearly having a heart attack going, oh, my God, look well, at those I photos. Saw, I saw, <laughs> I've seen a lot of those photos because they're all the candid shots that um, you see of Elvis and she was the one that actually was camera trigger happy and, um, and, and she, just as well. She told us a story, Kevin, of just before his last concert, so probably just before he died. Mm. that he was looking out off the balcony of the Vegas hotel, looking out the skyline, and she went out and um, spoke to him and asked me if he was okay. And he said, you know, when I finish this next concert, I really want to get back to do what I love, and that's gospel. And that's where that's where he was headed. Mm. Wow. But sadly, you know, he never got there. See, these are the things that... Um probably should have been in the movie as well because a lot of people don't know about these sort of things. And um, This and is also, why the trip's so good because you know all those yeah, people. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, I had lunch with uh, Joe Esposito one time. Wow. Vegas as well because Joe, a friend of mine brought Joe out for a holiday as um, to sponsor his, um, the Daiquiri group. It's a cocktail, you know, group in Melbourne. And they were a bunch of brothers and Brian sued, um, you know, he, he met Joe in an in a elevator in, in Vegas where Joe <laughs> used to live. And he said, you're Joe Esposito. And, like, he just started chatting and, asked you know, asked him to go for dinner. And, um, and then he asked him to come out to Australia for three months, all expenses paid. And then Brian rang me and he said, can you do a show for Joe, and so I got the biggest band, and um, you know, Joe was sitting in the VIP area, you know, roped up and all that sort of stuff. And then towards the end of the show, he was like this in at the front of the stage because I was so much in character, and I took him there. Oh, good. He was just, you know, I've got photos of him just mm. grasping his hands together like that. Yeah. And, you know, they're some of the experiences that I've had with people at New Elvis. Yeah. Even a couple of weekends ago, Mark said, I think I'll ring Jerry Schilling. And I said, what do you mean? How come you've got Jerry's number? He's got, got his number in his phone. So, you know, Mark rings Jerry <laughs> Schilling, Elvis's best friend, and he, was getting, and he answered the phone and he had a chat to Mark. He was having a haircut at the time. But, yeah. you know, that's kind of weird and special. So, I was, I had a a friend who was um, a fan club president in Canada and she used to be an agent as well. And she, 
you know, I said, oh, is there any chance I can come to Canada? So, so I went to Canada, did a few shows there. And then I introduced her as an agent to um, Winter Sun, which is Cooley Rocks now, and the Parks Elvis Festival. And I, when they had Kissing Cousins, um, I, I was the one that kind of instigated for them to bring out Cynthia Pepper, who was Elvis's co-star. And so Cynthia came out to Australia with Kathleen. And so in 2011, Kathleen said, uh, because I introduced her to Winter Sun, um, she was bringing out Jerry Schilling to do a few chats and all that sort of stuff. So she goes, why don't you come a couple of days earlier and catch up with Jerry? And I said, oh, great. And I'd never met Jerry before. So me, my mate, Kathleen and Jerry went out for dinner and still, I haven't asked him a thing about Elvis. And then all of a sudden, after a glass of red, he opens up, tells a story of how Elvis met Nixon, Elvis met the Beatles. And you, it's interesting that you say that you're into numbers and stuff. Yeah. Because I, I, you missed a very valid point with the numbers and Elvis because, like, Vernon's Steakhouse, obvious, opposite um, Graceland. Yes. They smoke. They smoke about a thousand pounds of meat every week. Yeah, right. Which is about the average weight of the average customer there. So you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is America. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Hey, uh, Lisa, you still you still Mark's roadie, unofficial roadie? Pretty much. Yeah. I my if you saw the back of my car, it's full of tools. It's full of speakers yeah, yeah i i do he helps me so much i it's all the least i can do so yeah i help mark set up and you know pack down afterwards pack the lights up sometimes i don't roll the, the cords up properly so he says i'll do it <laughs> carry them out to the car you know put his cape on sometimes which all is right. you know, give out the scarf sometimes yeah um, now, if i don't have glasses on, I can't get the cape on properly. And he's seeing go, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> every, every now and again, though, you have to go above and beyond the cause, don't you? I mean, uh, now, now Mark does also a bit of Tom Jones at times and there's part of Tom's act that is that is an integral part of what, you know, Tom has brought to the table over the years. And I, I do believe there's been at least one occasion when you went above and beyond the call of duty to to help Mark in his act, Lise. Yeah, uh, it must be. Is, is it, that, is that, that in, in the book? I forgot. in the book? How did you know about that? I did. <laughs> oh, really? That's no, well, see, book. Mark was doing um, Tom Jones and um, no, it was, must have been just It was at um, Moncomo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, as in, he's singing, he came up to me and he was singing and then whispered a bit in my no, ear. No, 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 no. Hang on. No, you got the story wrong. No, let me tell the story. It's funnier. Okay. He says, do you have undies? This is a short version. Do you have undies <laughs> on? I said, no, of course I, I do. You. you did. And he said, I forgot my props. Can you go and take them off and bring them to me? Because he has, Tom Jones has them in, he has two pair in his pocket. Yeah. And he'd forgotten to bring them. So I had to go and take them off, discreetly put them in his pocket. And I had to go the rest of the night without undies on. <laughs> They're really nice ones too. <laughs> I still use them. Um. <laughs> that only fit one chip now. I haven't watched them. Um, <laughs> that was at um, Redcliffe, you know, home of the Bee Gees. Oh, beautiful downtown Redcliffe. So yep. I, was doing, I was doing a show there and it was a legend show and normally I go through, you know, my setup, and I go, okay, I've got, you know, my undies Wig. for Tom Jones because I put them in my pocket and then I look at someone in the front row and I 
Oh, it's great to see you again. You know, I still have your panties from last night. You know, and I pull them out of my pocket. So that's that's the gag, you know. Yeah. But um, I've got another story for you, um, Brian, and obviously Kevin, because um, um, I toured with Sam Thompson, who was chief of security for Elvis um, in the last two years, and um, Sam's sister Linda was Elvis's girlfriend for yep. about four and a half years. So she toured with me as well obviously in the car, telling stories, things like that. And Sam told me a story that um, Linda had to leave in, in November before Christmas of the 76 and because um, she didn't want to find Elvis dead. She, they got, she got sick of resuscitating him, you know, that sort of thing, and it was a bit of a wild call. Um, then Sam, Christmas Day, 1976, Elvis didn't come down at all. And from his bedroom, and Sam went upstairs and said, "Elvis, uh, are you coming down at all?" And Elvis said, "No." And Sam said, "You know, I, Elvis, I think you've got a drug problem." And and Elvis grabbed a lampshade and threw it at him, and told him he was fired. And he goes, "I need him more than you, and you're fired." You know. So yeah. a week a week later. Sam gets a call from Charlie Hodge saying that, you know, he wants to see you. And, and um, you know, Sam said, Charlie, you know, he fired me, you know, and he goes, yeah, he wants to see you. So anyway, he rocked up to Graceland and um, out, out the front was a cherry red Harley Davidson. <laughs> and Elvis came out and um, he didn't apologise, but he threw the keys at him and said, it's yours. You like the bike? It's yours. And that was his way of. Apologising. We, we were talking to Danny Bonaducci, you know, Danny Partridge from the Partridge family. Yes, yes. And he told us that because he's in an Elvis movie, he played the kid in it or something. Yeah. And, um, and he said that Elvis bought me a Cadillac. And it, really? was, like a, it was like a pedal car Cadillac yeah. that, oh, that yeah. he got for him. And he, yeah, said it, he said it was great. He said, you know, I can say that Elvis bought me a Cadillac. And uh, I thought that was oh, a bit cute. Yeah. He also told yeah. us that Elvis had yeah. bits of mannequins, like legs and heads and stuff, on the walls of his caravan. When you walked in, there was like body parts hanging off the walls of the thing. Remember, he told us that, Brian. I don't, Kev. I think you just made that up. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks very much, Mannix, for the support yeah. on that one. Yeah. Good. Hey, listen. Yeah. One thing you two have um, in common that I wanted to mention is that you've both been on Neighbours. Brian famously played an, oh, played, played an Irish jockey in Neighbours, <laughs> really yeah. badly too, just quietly. And and famously, <laughs> you you married Paul, and, and I don't mean you as in you performed right. the ceremony yes. of, for a marriage for Paul Robinson in the show, didn't you? That's right. That was um, what was that last year or the year before? So they they were actually going to Vegas, and then I think COVID hit. I think that was, yeah, 2020. So then they filmed it in Queensland and sort of wanted, yeah, an Elvis celebrant. And um, so they asked me to do it. And uh, the other time I've been on Neighbours, I actually played a dad. It was only a bit part, but um, it was in the cafe and um, obviously the, the kid just came out and said he was gay and I was sort of just giving him dirty dirty looks. That was <laughs> all I had to do, but... Uh, yeah, uh, we've just got some people here at the moment, but um, yeah. 
it. They could end up in the creek. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, anyway. not good. We'll let you both go, but thank you so much for your time. Congrats on the book, Lise. And, uh, Mark, look forward to seeing thank you. Thank you so much. Doing the show with uh, with Marty yeah. and the and the show on your own uh, around the traps, so the people just have to go to your website and all the details of all the gigs are there. Can I, can I just say something that um, when I was eighteen, it was um, nineteen eighty four, and Kevin, you were on uh, Fox FM. Yep. Uh, Brian, you were kicking girls with um, Kenny Axman, and uh, Lisa, oh. you were in the pool, <laughs> and and I was nobody. <laughs> And here we are chatting today. So um, thank you very much for having me and uh, I really appreciate it. No, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Absolute uh, pleasure. Good health and good luck to you both. Thanks, Thanks mate. So okay. Take See care. Take Cheers. care of business. Take care of business, man. Take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, see, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later, uh, Brian. Take care. So that's, <laughs> how you, that's how you do it, Mannix. Not like the way you do it. Well, I do Sylvester Stallone. Right? <laughs> You've been charging a million dollars worth of equipment. Now I can't get jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> uh, thank you. Take care. All right.
Now that is Mark uh, as Elvis doing uh, one of my favourite songs, Tony Joe White's Poke Salad Annie. What a good song. What well, the hell is it well about, Kev? What is it about? Well, Granny had the, uh, you know, the gators were uh, there and Granny was there yeah. and she, uh, near the truck patch. Uh, she was stealing watermelons out of my truck back. Uh, right, right. Uh, but, but it was sort of all and about. Then, and then Sally's poking the salad. Well, whatever. Who knows what she? I hope she washed her hair. Tony Joe White is is a is a bit of an acquired taste, but uh, that is a really good song. Well done, Mark. Uh, and Mark well is, done. as he mentioned, uh, doing shows. So uh, check out his Facebook page and uh, and social media, and uh, and you can find out exactly where he's appearing and, next. And I believe, as a support act, they're putting in a little pool for uh, Lisa to do <laughs> a few laps before he comes on, you know. And when he's singing uh, Return to Sender, bang, she's doing the, the medley. Up you and know, down. Doing the butterfly, the go. backstroke, the, you know, and very in very fast time. She's now, still very fit. We did that interview with, with Mark and Lisa a couple of weeks ago when the mm. Baz Luhrmann film had just been released to uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the who's who got to see it and they obviously went to the... Mm went to the premiere for the Who's Who. But you've been to the cinemas and had a look at it? I did, and I was I was kind of dreading it. I thought that um, Baz Luhrmann could really stuff this up. But I think he's done a great job. Um, Are the you young really? Guy, yeah, the guy, the young guy playing Elvis. It's, it, it, Mark Elvis Austin, has to, I think his name is. El, Elvis has to be really, really good looking. And the guy looks like Elvis and he's really good looking because – yeah, you know, a lot of people just remember the bloated Elvis, which we see a bit of it towards the end. Yeah. Um, but it just reminds you of why Elvis was so big. And I, and he does a couple of neat little um, cinema tricks. It's not all of them come off, but uh, most of them do. Um, the Tom Parker character is a bit of a drag, but no, I'm giving it 8 out of 10. But just while I'm reviewing movies... I watched uh, because remember we had Johnny Rotten on the show, yes, and he was and he was furious about the um, the pistol miniseries that's on Disney at the moment. Anyway, I just finished watching that um, last night. Now, is he in this or not? Or is this the Steve Cook one? No, uh, yeah, it's it's based on um, Steve Jones's Steve Jones biog- biography. So the story is basically told from Steve Jones, um, and there's all actors and stuff, and it, it's. You know, it's not everybody's cup of tea because it's grungy and it's, you know, you know, people that are, you know, crazy. But um, I reckon Johnny Rotten would actually, if he watches it, will actually be pretty happy with his portrayal because to my way of thinking, you know, there's one point Steve Jones says, I hate to admit this, Johnny, but you are a genius. And he's he's kind of the strength that's against Malcolm McLaren. And, uh, oh, okay. But I, I think um, Wasn't Rotten, he more pissed off about the fact that they didn't ask him for permission for any of the songs or something? Or they didn't, yeah, talk, to, they did, they didn't they talk to him talk at all to, about what it was going to be about? They just went and did it? Yeah, well, you know, I think if he watches it, I think I thought that, you know, he's, he's a bit of a freak at the start, but then as it goes on, you go, yeah, actually, this guy's got his shit together. 
pretty well. You know, he's, he's not perfect, but um, him and uh, Steve Jones come out of it like they're, they're, they're the guys. So, um, you know, I recommend Pistol on Disney to everybody and okay. the Elvis movie I think is great and I think it'll be great because there's a whole new generation that don't really understand Elvis. And what was really great about it too, I thought, is that the first part of the movie, the young guy, Austin Butler, he sings all of the early Elvis songs and then later ones they have him singing, singing in every song I heard Baz Luhrmann say, but they sometimes put in a line of Elvis. And at the very end, there's Austin Butler. He's playing Elvis and they kind of mix it in with real Elvis and the way they do that is You mean terrific. visually or do you mean audio? Yeah, audio? Vi- vi- oh, visually. Visually, visually oh. and audio. And there's a few times they do that, but it's kind of like it, it works really well because it's like, yeah, this is real. It, it, it's a really nice uh, filmic device. And, um, no, I was impressed. Uh, you know, Baz oh, okay. goes, you know, as fine he says, um, he wants to put velvet cushions on everything, but he, he did a pretty good <laughs> job with this. Um, well, let's, so fa- reckon- let's be honest. On a pre- on another podcast that we do called Ruck and Roll, you and Mark Fine, who's on that podcast, and, and I joined in as well, we didn't think much of Moulin Rouge or Australia that he did, and, and, and we, yeah. weren't, we weren't massive fans of Baz's work, and we all three of us were concerned that he would take Elvis and, and desecrate it. But clearly yeah. he hasn't. No, no. I, I, I look, I probably – I don't know that it's a, a particularly pleasant movie. It, it's great. It's very long. But it didn't seem that long, which yeah. is good. Um, but I, I, I look. I'll probably go and see it again. Um, okay. I, you know, I just they nailed so many bits of it really well, and I know me of the story pretty well. And I, they didn't ignore the drugs. They didn't play it up, but they didn't ignore. Well, it. Well, you shouldn't so turn it into the into the focus of the film. There was more about the man than that. The, the unfortunate thing is, so much of his life now it revolves around all the other things that weren't what we fell in love with. Is is this more well, about what we fell in love with? Well, I, I think that's what's what's cool about the movies. Yeah, go, good. Okay. Wow, this guy is—he was really special, and um, you know, yeah, they don't spend a lot of time on the movies to say this shit, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, look, I think it's great, and okay. you know, it's one of those movies too when you you go away and you go, oh yeah, that was good, and then the more you think about it, the more you go, now oh, that was really good. Um, I think I need to go and see it again just to take everything in. But yeah. um, no, I, I loved it. Is the is the bit where Elvis says "Wish I'd called Murcotts in the start or the uh, the end? Is it is it uh, normal uh, sized Elvis or the bloated sized Elvis? When, he says when he, when he buys his mother the pink Cadillac. Ah, he goes now, Mama, Mama, you got to go to Murcotts. One three hundred triple five five seven six. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Mama. <laughs> you go there, man. You go there, get some driving technique. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right with me. <laughs> One three hundred five 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 seven six. Elvis is spinning in his grave now, saying, "Who's doing? Who's doing? That's all right, Mama." There in that what room. What do you mean he's spinning in his grave? He's still alive. Of course he is. Of course he's, he is. He's Brian. just living on an island with Michael Jackson and um, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> oh, Ronnie yeah. Biggs. Right. And, um, they're all still alive. Murcots.edu.au. That's uh, that's the website. Go and uh, check them out. One three hundred five 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 seven six. Thanks to Dale Ryder. Get better, better, better soon, uh, Dale, and to uh, and to Mark and Lisa. Thanks for letting us into your house and uh, and having a chat because that was a really nice little experience for us. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen. 
More cars and lesser buildings. <laughs> Unfortunately, the very bad Elvis impersonator hasn't, but he is now. Oh, I'm working on it. I've got a high voice. <laughs> That's why you want to see the movie. See you, Brian. Take care, mate. Thanks, Kev. Cheers, buddy.